We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiaoxin Chung, who is now an advisor to independent lawmaker Freddie Lim. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And on the telephone by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing Vice President-elect William Lai's trip to Washington, D.C., a two-way KMT chairmanship race, the first overseas migrant workers now being employed at local farms, and a national concert hall and music venue getting gender-neutral breastrooms. But we'll begin with the latest on the coronavirus outbreak from here in Taiwan, and as of the time we're recording the show, there have been 16 confirmed cases of the 29 novel coronavirus here. Now, the government on Wednesday announced that all Chinese nationals will be denied entry in Taiwan and on Thursday announced the suspension of the issuance of entry permits on arrival and the online processing of entry permits for Hong Kong and Macau. Now over 200 Taiwanese nationals arrived back in Taiwan late Monday after being evacuated from the Chinese city of Wuhan on a charter flight which was operated by China Eastern Airlines and they arrived at Taoyuan International Airport and were immediately screened for the virus. One of the passengers tested positive and it was later confirmed that he was apparently not on the list of people that should have been on the flight. There was three people who shouldn't have been on the flight and, well, that's caused some controversy. Now, the flight was organised by a private group called the Parents Association in Taipei and the discovery that three people who shouldn't have been on the flight because they weren't on a list of people the government submitted to Chinese authorities has caused quite a commotion, with Premier Su Jung-chung on Thursday saying there will be no more repatriations of Taiwanese nationals from Wuhan unless such arrangements are made through established communication channels rather than private groups. Meanwhile, surgical mask rationing began here on Thursday, and under the rationing system, people are being allowed to buy two masks per week at some 6,000 national health insurance contracted drugstores and pharmacies. Now, sales have been staggered to certain days of the week based on the last digit of the ID number on national health insurance cards, alien residence certificates or entry permits. And on Thursday, Economics Minister Shen Rongjin said the government is seeking to boost the production of surgical face masks to around 4 0.6 million a day within the next two weeks, and that number is likely to be increased in the coming months. Now, there's been reports of some people breaching their coronavirus home quarantine orders, which has led authorities to be fining some people, well, some people at least, as three people who had been under home quarantine orders in New Taipei somehow managed to leave Taiwan, according to the New Taipei Mayor Hou Yi. And Jingmen County immigration officials this week say that a couple from New Taipei who had been subject to a coronavirus home quarantine order. Well, they were denied exit from the island after they violated their order and were caught trying to travel to China from the outlying island. Now, if all that wasn't enough, the government this week lodged a formal protest with the World Health Organization for repeatedly giving Taiwan what it's calling inappropriate designations, while also reiterating that Taiwan is not part of China. Now, the complaint is in response to the WHO's latest coronavirus situation report, which referred to Taiwan as Taipei and Environs under a table of confirmed cases of the virus, as reported by provinces, regions and cities in China. Previous WHO coronavirus situation reports are referred to Taiwan as Taiwan China on January the 22nd and as Taipei Municipality on January the 25th. Now, Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O oh says the global health body's series of inappropriate designations of Taiwan is unfactual and absurd. So, Xiao, where do we begin here? Let's begin, let's begin with the masks, the rationing of the masks. Now, what are you making of all that? 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't able to get a mask. I mean, everywhere nowadays. I mean, and when you get onto public transportations, uh, especially MRT, you see everybody wearing masks. And if you don't wear one, I mean, you're gonna be stared at, and then people are gonna give you looks and then probably chastise you. Uh, I've seen stories online that um, some people not wearing masks are being approached by strangers, and they they just. Give you mask and ask you to put it on, but actually, I mean, it's、uh, the government has actually put out, I mean,、uh, instructions saying that not not everybody needs wear wears a mask because especially healthy individuals,、um, you don't need to put on mask everywhere you go. So especially if you don't work in crowded places like the public transportations or entertainment areas, you don't really need to、uh, put on mask twenty four seven. So、um, and. On the other side, I mean, the people who do, who do need to put on mask are the people with chronic diseases and people with、uh, upper respiratory diseases who are coughing, sneezing.、Uh, they do need to put on masks、uh, before they go out.、Um, so I, I see this whole, you know. Mass fight because I was in Japan、uh, a few few days ago, and then、uh, the same. I mean, everywhere there's no mask, and then even on TV says people are fighting for for mask, and even in in Nehu just yesterday,、uh, the, 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 there were fights. Breaking out、uh, in front of drugstores just to,、uh, to to get in line to for for the masks. So, I mean, I see this whole、um, episode is a little bit reaching the uh, um, uh, you know absurd levels that people just feel safe if you, they don't feel safe if they don't put on masks on their faces. But、uh, but actually, Taiwan is relatively safe if you compare with neighboring countries. We have right now about thirteen confirmed cases of corona. Virus,、um, as com- compared to you know 25 in Japan or, or、uh, other places, we are relatively safe. So I don't really see there's such a, a need for the hysteria of、uh, mass fighting. Right, Donovan, have you been have you queued up for a mask this week? No, I, I, I have some stored away. <laughs> have you been wearing them though? No,、uh, here here at least in、uh, the Tanza district of Taichung, I've noticed、uh, going out in the streets. It looks like about half the people are wearing them. It, it's, it doesn't seem to be、uh, quite as intense as, as in Taipei. Right, and Donovan, are the returning Taiwanese national controversy? Yeah, the, I, I feel like there's three different issues going on here. I, I, there's a lot of outrage. Uh, expressed online, and the, the, it looks to me like there's three separate issues, which are all being kind of balled together into one.、Uh, first of all,、uh, the the delays that the the People's Republic of China imposed on、uh, on Taiwan in getting the people out is is an outrage. They you know initially they said. Uh, we'll take care of them. It's fine, and they didn't want to、uh, allow allow us to bring people back to Taiwan the way that other foreign nations did because they didn't want to look apparently like it.、Uh, this was a you know that Taiwan was a foreign country,、uh, but I mean eventually they did relent. Then they only allow in one plane, and there were 500 some odd in、uh, Wuhan alone. I was just seeing here 900 some odd in, in Hubei. So they only let in one plane. So there's that outrage going on. Then you've got the second one, which was Shujiang、uh, uh, one, the a, a kind of an interloper there. Who、uh, between the local authorities and and a, a self help group there, who arranged for the people to get on the plane, and of course there are people there who are not on the list, 
and the people that were let on were not on the pri- were not in accordance with the priority list. So the so basically, it smells a little bit like this guy was kind of doing favors for his buddies. That's kind of what it smells like. Third, the, there's there was some outrage that uh, up to twenty percent of the people who were brought back were not were not Taiwanese nationals. They were permanent residents, and essentially were spouses and children. Well, in one sense, definitely there is an outrage, and I think this guy needs to be definitely uh, rebuked for for not following the priority list. In other words, he didn't he didn't bring back or didn't organize on the plane people according to the priority of uh, of risk of you know they were elderly they're you know people who were more at risk people who were prioritized he was not following that list and that that is terrible on the other hand there there seemed to be some outrage that uh, up to, uh, again up to 20% of these people were not were not Taiwanese nationals but they were permanent residents uh, of Taiwan, their spouses and children, and of course these people should be brought back, uh, but according to the to the priority that the government here set, and that there's outrage that they were not Taiwanese nationals, I think is misguided because these are spouses and children, but the that they were not on that on the on the they were not pri- they were not according to the priority that that was disturbing. Yeah, I totally agree with Donovan. I mean, there's one instance: is there's a, a, a children with uh, hemophilia, and um, according to the priority list, uh, the, the children should be on the very top priority because um, the people who we're trying to bring back are the people with chronic diseases who are elderly, who are not familiar with uh, Wuhan and 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 the uh, medical system there. So they it, they are in urgent need to come back to Taiwan and receive medical attention or, or treatment. Um, but uh, on the other side, we, we are not going to bring back people with confirmed cases of coronavirus because uh, what we're interested in is to bring Taiwanese back, but not the virus. So, I mean, the, the Taiwanese government have a, a set of rules, but in the end, because this is mediated through a private group, through uh, Xi Jinping, uh, as Donovan said, um, th- those rules are not being respected at all. So if you see that, however they are handling this evacuation on, uh, on their side, um, Taiwanese officials have no say at all. So they, they they are not allowing we to screen the passengers. They are not allowing, you know, uh, to, we to choose which people board the plane, which could not board. So in the end, you just see that uh, people like Xi Jinping, they he just able to you know sneak in as many people as he want, and then in the end, he even snuck in people who have no identification. We we don't know who they are, and in the end, there's one confirmed cases of coronavirus being ended up on the plane. So that make us uh, is very very dangerous place. That's why the Taiwanese government halted the whole process, and we are waiting further. You know, a possibility of collaboration with uh, with both governments before we can resume that. Right, and Xiao. What about the people who have been breaking their home quarantine orders? Now, those people are just you know extremely careless to say the least uh, and uh, especially they are breaking the law so uh, I mean we are supporting the, the authority to actually hunt them down and then make sure they uh, they follow the proper guidelines and then remain in their quarantine because if they are you know if they are showing symptoms of coronavirus or even 
if they are not showing symptoms, but they are being suspected being, you know, high risk, you know, carriers, then they do need to stay separated with the general public. Um, and, you know, people, you know, the government is starting, you know, giving out fines to these people. And in, in my idea, this is uh, the right way to do. But, I mean, do you think they could be monitored better, maybe when ankle bracelets on? Well, exactly. The government given them, you know, electronic devices. So basically, it's a cell phone and with the GPS turned on. So and, and they are required to uh, answer, you know, uh, you know, video calls in, at random times. So I think that that's a very uh, human and, and, and technological way to to deal with the, the whole quarantine process. And it's it's quite human. So I, I mean, I don't think they should complain about it. And basically, the government cares about their well-being. So as opposed to you know whoever is being quarantined in China, they are just being thrown into the massive you know jail-like. Uh, you know, facilities with minimal medical attention. In Taiwan, they are treat, they are given very high, you know, medical attention and treatment. Um, so if they just stay in quarantine, everything should be fine. And Donovan, what about violators of the quarantine rule? Obviously, Xiao said they've been given a smartphone, but of course, you know, maybe ankle bracelets would be better for certain people who violate the rule. No, I agree with Xiao. I think that the the the, the more humane technological approach is, is definitely more appropriate. What about people who violate it, though? Do you think they should probably take it one step further there? Well, the, here's what's interesting. is that Here in central Taiwan, there's a Zhanghua case where uh, a guy f- uh, provided a f- a phone numbers for places where he wasn't, and they, they, they had to hunt him down. It took them five days to hunt this guy down. Uh, and he was, living in, he was living in Taichung, but he gave him phone numbers for other places where he might be. And so they they find him. They came down on him like a ton of bricks. There was another guy found in Taichung who also broke his quarantine. And he went out, and he was going out for New Year's, having a good time, you know, hanging out. He didn't get fined at all. Uh, he turned out to be perfectly healthy, and so the authorities were like, well, uh, he turned out to be just fine. And he, he, his attitude was like, I'm fine, don't worry about it. And so there, there seems to be kind of a, a disconnect between different authorities and how this is being implemented. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this whole uh, process is to make sure that the Taiwan is, is being you know, as safe as possible. So I, I just want to you know, switch to another point about, you know, the whole thing is there's so much disinformation online. So people are generating a lot of, you know, fear and and hysteria around this episode. So we just want to make sure that people who need to be quarantined stay inside and then get their medical treatment from the authorities. But the people who are healthy and who don't have contact with people from Wuhan or even Chinese nationals, uh, we don't need to really panic and then stop spreading you know, all this disinformation online. So, uh, especially those disinformation that's been you know, um, you know, generated through uh, some mechanism that's very dubious, right? Because you see just a few weeks ago, there's celebrities all attacking the government on these, you know, masks issues. And also you see the KMT, you know, uh, legislators, they're having press conferences attacking the government about, you know, mask shortages, asking why we cannot import masks from some other countries. But there are no masks from some other countries, you know, we can import because people all masks everywhere have been sold out. So this is just, we want to make sure we look at this issue in, in, in a clear-headed way and then want to uh, follow the instructions, the official instructions put out by the government and not to, you know, overhype this whole uh, uh, issue.
Ryan Shaw, of course, the WHO, bit of a conundrum when it comes to Taiwan. Of course, we saw the head of the WHO earlier this week in Beijing standing there like he just, you know, he was enjoying his nice little holiday in Beijing. And he basically said, well, China's doing all they can. But apparently, according to the WHO report, the well, the organisation can't really decide what to call Taiwan, be it Taipei and its environs, Taiwan, China or Taipei Municipality. We are, I, I have no, you know, very little confidence on WHO right now, especially when their director general called China being very transparent and effective in dealing with the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, in truth, I mean, China has been exactly the opposite. Because if you read the New York Times, it's been discussed that the very early days, the the concealing of facts and then the suppression of you know uh, the, the news is what exactly caused this serious outbreak. And even right now, the the Chinese regime is more interested in cracking down people, you know, passing out information online than actually deal with the, uh, the 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 cases on the ground. So right now, you can see that China is you know busy building hospitals which in fact are turned out to be more like jail-like uh, quarantine facilities. So this is, um, so China is not a trans- not interested in being transparent and sharing information with the world, it's not especially with Taiwan. So, I mean, if WHO is being headed by uh, a, a person who is very eager to meet with Xi Jinping just five days into the outbreak and then call China a very a transparent, effective uh, virus fighter, then, then um, I'm not sure how much we can gain from being part of WHO. But that being said, um, Taiwan is, the medical expertise is pretty uh, highly appreciated around the world. I mean, our, you know, uh, pandemic controlling process is being regarded very highly. So we do have experience to share with our fellow countries. So as as long as you know the the politics aside if we can send our healthcare professionals to the international conferences with uh, our fellow you know professionals everybody has a lot to gain donovan well yeah apparently as far as taiwan's concerned uh who's won't help out um the i think Xiao pretty much nailed it the the situation is it, it, it's disturbing because they're not living up to their 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 original charter uh and essentially there's a there's a black hole surrounding 23 million people here in taiwan as far as the as far as the world's concerned and of course the uh, between the who and the icao which the international uh, air air safety organization between the two of them, locking out Taiwan, the the fact that the the world has this gap, it, it could, in theory, be very dangerous. The good news is that uh, the government here is is I think quite responsible uh, and quite willing to help out, and is doing everything it can in spite of being locked out of these organizations to remain a helpful, useful member of the community and, you know, it, and make sure that the air, everything from airline safety, quarantine procedures, health procedures are, are all, uh, are all in, are all responsible and part of keeping the, the region and the world safe. So uh, that the, so basically Taiwan right now is proving to the world that in spite of all the efforts of China to lock it out, it is being a responsible member, but China's just making it harder. 
Right, moving on. Now, Vice President-elect William Lai has been in the United States this week where he attended the National Prayer Breakfast. He met with US Senator Marco Rubio. He attended the International Religious Freedom Roundtable and he held talks at the White House National Security Council. Now, according to Rubio's office, the talks with William Lai focused on how to enhance US-Taiwan relations and the timely importance of Taiwan's participation in international organisations. Now... When Lai popped off to the White House National Security Council, he spent about 70 minutes there chatting to people. However, no information has been released about what those talks focused on, but former lawmaker Xiaobi Kim, who is acting as Lai's chief advisor while he's in the US, has said basically, well, he visited the council in a private capacity and it was based on his future status as Taiwan's vice president. But no other details, like I said, have been released. Now, when he popped off to the National Prayer Breakfast, according to reports, he was sitting at a table which was at the forefront of the event. And he was apparently sitting near Senator Lindsey Graham and US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So, Xiao, Mr Lai goes to Washington and, well, he meets a lot of officials. Yeah, that's a very encouraging, you know, sight to see because um, Lai visiting, you know, a, a, a future vice president to visit the, uh, the, the Washington, D.C. Is a, is a, is a first um, so in, in the Mindjo era, you know, usually they send the, uh, the representative in, in the U.S. Um, also the, in Chen Shui-bian era, they send the uh, former premier Xie Changting uh, or, or somebody from the presidential uh, hall, um, Wu Pei. But being a future vice president going to the uh, national prayer is a, is a first, is the highest level possible. So, I mean, this is a very encouraging sign to see that in the future, the Taiwan-U.S. relations is uh, is getting warmer and warmer. But of course, um, th- there are some people speculating that uh, this is all, you know, Donald Trump's uh, uh, plan to, you know, uh, gain an upper hand in, the, in his uh, trade talks with China. But whatever the reason behind this, we are all very encouraged to see that um, the U.S.-Taiwan relation is to such a level that the future vice president has been invited to visit Washington, D.C. Um, as per the, uh, the, the act they passed to allow higher officials to, uh, to interact with each other. Donovan. Well, I think it's on, on the one hand, as Shao mentioned, that it, it is encouraging in that he is higher, uh, he's about to be higher ranking when, when he takes office as vice president, and of course he's a former premier. So on the one hand, it is encouraging in that he is higher level than uh, visitors in the past. On the other hand, it's also disappointing. The Taiwan Travel Act was passed recently by the U.S. Congress, pushing for uh, higher level contacts. And I feel like they could have gone much farther. It's also important to note that the one China policy that the U.S. has does not have any restrictions at all in any of the agreements signed between the United States and the People's Republic that have any restrictions on anybody meeting anybody. Meaning that if Trump wanted to meet the President Tsai Ing-wen, he easily could. These are all self-imposed restrictions. So the it, and they're all put, and these self-imposed restrictions are all basically to mollify and pacify uh, the government in Beijing. Which so that that there's in, incremental improvement. I feel like they could have gone farther. He could have met with Mike Pompeo. He could have met with uh, any of anybody, including uh, Donald Trump himself. There, there was absolutely no restrictions on them doing it. So it, 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 I feel like it's, it's a step forward, but 
it, it's the will of Congress was that he should be meeting with cabinet level officials, which it doesn't look like happened. That, that's right. I'm totally agree with Donovan. I mean, just like a piece in the uh, South Morning China Post uh, by uh, uh, Ross Feingold, a regular commentator here. Um, he says that the the U.S. you know mem- members of U.S. Con- Congress have repeatedly proposed that President Tsai Ing-wen can go and address U.S. Congress. Um, so I think that's a very appropriate idea. So and we are also the the, the president's you know the, the team is trying to invite you know, many higher up officials like cabinet members to attend uh, her inauguration in, in, in May. Um, so I think all this is possible. I th- and I think Lai, within Lai's visit opens such doors to more talks and more collaborations. So in the future, we may see uh, a cabinet member coming to Taiwan or even Trump himself. Of course, Donovan, they did describe Lai's trip to Washington as a, a, in a private capacity. And it was also said that well, he doesn't really have an agenda or an itinerary because he's not on any official business. Yeah, and again, that, that, that's part of the, you know, sort of one step forward, but a very small one. Um, but what I, what I hope the case here is, is uh, as Xiao just, just mentioned, is that he's laying the groundwork for something bigger going forward. That's, that's my hope. But I, I don't see any indications that that is, that is definitely the case. That's all we can really hope for. Would anybody involved with the Taiwan you know, foreign relations or diplomatic policies knows is that uh, we all have to be very low-key and careful in, in treading the waters, right? Because uh, it's, it's very delicate. We don't want to be too boisterous in saying, oh, come on, see the future vice president is in, in the White House in, in D.C. We don't want to make you know, everybody know that. But, but in the same time, we want to make sure um, whenever there's a there's meeting possible, whenever there, there's talks being had, uh, we, we grab that opportunity and make sure we further that relationship. So make sure next time we may be a more pu- public, next time there may be a higher level of visits. So uh, just as Donovan said, uh, this is... We all hope that this can lead to something much further. Right, we have to take a short break now, but we will be returning after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and the KMT's leadership by-election is set to be a two-way race between Taichung lawmaker Johnny Jung and former Taipei Mayor Ha Long Bin. Now, Jung registered his candidacy this Monday and became the first to officially register for the party's leadership race, and Jung submitted 34,782 signatures of support from fully paid-up KMT members to qualify as a candidate, while Ha registered to run in the March 7th by-election on Tuesday, submitting 40,630 32 signatures to qualify as a candidate. Now, both Jung and House spoke to reporters after registering with the 47-year-old Taichung lawmaker saying that he'll create an 11-member decision-making platform if elected that will include a wide range of party officials and think tank researchers to decide on major issues and react quickly to changes in public opinion. Jung also says that the platform will ensure more opinions are taken into account when making key decisions within the party. While the 67-year-old former Taipei 
Mayor told reporters that he'll promote younger party members to key leadership roles if he's elected KMT chairman and he says he'll lead the party out of the woods and not use the role as a stepping stone for other political posts. Now, both candidates also spoke about the need for the KMT to reach a consensus on the question of how best to handle cross-strait ties and also to push for Taiwan's inclusion in international organisations and they also both mentioned having a stronger voice in the US with How Long Bing saying he'll set up an office which the KMT did have once upon a time but How Long Bing will create another office for the KMT in the United States. So Xiao, we've got How Long Bing versus Johnny Jung in the KMT election race. Right, I mean it's the uh, uh, Obla versus New you know, Saga um, in the uh, KMT you know, chairman race, right? Because uh, Johnny is, uh, is, is is young legislator, he's up, up, up and coming, and he used to serve as, uh, you know, the executive UN's uh, spokesman during the uh, Manjo era. So he's got quite a bit of experience. And um, when if you look at his legislative records, he's pretty uh, progressive, and he's I've known I've known him personally. He's a very mild. I mean, not not to be seen as extreme, you know, legislator. Some like Shen Zihui and others. So I mean, if he's um, he if he was to be he is to be elected as a chairman, I think I would imagine KMT going to uh, some reforms and being going to the direction of uh, appealing to more young voters. Uh, on the other hand, if Hao Longbin is uh, elected, he would probably say quite the same because he's known to be uh, more traditional and conservative and appealing to, to more the so-called Huang Fuxin voters, which are more um, like veterans, more uh, conservative and more pro-China. So on, on that on, on that scenario, uh, we will see that KMT probably stay the course. Um, because, you know, KMT right now is facing a tough choice. They just lost a, a critical election, um, although they, they won uh, quite a few party votes. But in their presidential ballot, it, it's, they took a, a serious shellacking. So, right, you can see that they really need to reform their party platform, their message, in order to, in order to proper align with the Taiwan, you know, electorate and make sure they know that um, the Taiwan needs voters are not you know ready to be so close with whatever uh, uh you know the 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 future that, that they they are they were proposing which is a future that is going closer and closer with china they want to forge strong economic ties which sounds fine a service but in doing that they are trading away um they are potentially trading away you know taiwan's democracy and freedom so how to address that that's the very uh very tough challenge for the future uh, kmt chairman Right, so Donovan, I mean, like Xiao said, it's the younger versus the older, and there's a 20-year difference in between both the candidates. Yeah, uh, which is interesting because the the legislators that uh, ran for the KMT were about 20 years older than the DPP candidates on average. Uh, so, but the the KMT has a series. I, I wrote a, just wrote a three-part series on this. The the KMT has structurally uh, they've got. They, 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 they've just created a reform committee which addresses four issues which they need to reform. And they, they were correct on those four issues. Uh, the finances, reaching out to younger voters, re-examining cross-strait policies, and reforming their personnel. And I think those, those four issues are, are key to reforming the, the KMT. Now they've just for, formed the committee. We don't know what the committee's results are going to be, but they, they plan to come out with um, recommendations in late March, 
which would be after the March 7 election for the KMT chair, that would be then in place for the new chair to to peruse, I suppose. Um, but the the KMT fundamentally has some huge problems. Uh, the finances are, are are a massive problem. They are hemorrhaging cash. They have 1.59 million apparently uh, per uh, sorry 1.59 billion per year in pension outlays, which. It, which and they have an income of four hundred and some odd million annually. That's an almost insurmountable problem. Uh, is now as far as reforming the personnel, if they bring in new personnel, then they're which they they need. The, they're going to increase their their both their their pension liabilities and their salary payments. They, but of course, the big the big giant issue is, of course, the cross-strait relations. They're not going to be able to bring in younger members unless they reform how they conduct cross-strait policy. And both candidates, Ha Longbin and uh, Johnny Chang, have talked about how they will reform it. Now, what I find really interesting is how they framed it. Ha Longbin has basically turn back the clock. He sounds very, very much like older school uh, KMT, more pro-U.S., and, well, if China will not recognize the Republic of China, then screw them, we're not going to talk to them, kind of an attitude, which sounds very sort of almost 1990s, but that was back when how long Bin was in the new party. So I feel like he's turned back the clock, trying to get back to the point when the, when the public trusted the KMT to be at least to protect Taiwan sovereignty by being anti-communist. Johnny Chang, and um, as Xiao mentioned, he, he, I, I've met him a few times as well, and he does seem to be, uh, he is definitely younger than how he's younger and more flexible. Uh, I don't know how, mu- how progressive he is on, on certain issues. He did vote against uh, marriage equality, but he does seem to be a more practical rather than ideological. That, that's the impression that I've gotten from him. And he's talking about reforming it, reaching out to ideas, but he hasn't really put anything concrete on the table like Hal has. So fundamentally, though, I do think that, that ideologically and traditionally, and because Hal comes from a, a, an elite family, he's a princeling uh, from an elite family, I feel like traditionally the KMT members would vote for him. He would be the winner in the chair race under normal circumstances. But I do, now that they've lost two national elections in a row in a big way, the question is how much panic do they feel? Are they going to be willing to take a risk on Johnny Chang, who is younger? He's from Taichung. He's red faction. So he's a Taiwanese factional Paul. And but will they be willing to take that risk? Because culturally and ideologically, I think he's not in the mainstream of the party. So if they go for him, that will indicate that a lot of the membership of the KMT feel a sense of crisis. If they vote for how, it will be they're going back to their roots. That, that I feel like, are the two different messages that we'll get out of the whoever wins the race. 
Right, we'll have to see what happens there, because, of course, March the 7th is the big day. Anyway, the Council of Agriculture on Wednesday of this week announced that the first seven overseas workers to have been accepted for employment on the island's agricultural sector have now begun working at local farms. Now, of course, shall the decision to allow migrant workers to seek employment in the sector comes amid an acute manpower shortage there. Local people don't want to work in farms, so they're employing overseas workers to come and do the job instead. Right, usually they employ people from China, right? Because a lot of uh, about 400 Chinese fishermen come here over to help our fishing fleets. Um, but right now, because of the coronavirus, uh, all you know Chinese nationals are being you know banned from entering uh, Taiwan. That's why they are uh, they are scrambling to find a working force. Um, and I think this is a, a, a temporary solution, so we can find some other overseas workers to make sure we have uh, enough manpower in the, in, the, in fishing industry. And also in the farm industry, um, but when, whenever when, when the coronavirus you know episode dies down, uh, we'll see that there's probably adjustment between uh, if we can bring more experienced Chinese fishermen back, or uh, how, how if we can keep employing these uh, uh, experienced hands from overseas. Because of course, there's not many young people want to work in farming jobs here, a lot of on land farming jobs. Shall so they're obviously they're also looking at workers from Vietnam and Indonesia to come and work at the local dairy farms and vegetable farms and tea farms. Yeah, that's really pretty interesting. That not enough young people who would like to go into farms and fishing. But but on the other hand, I mean, I see many friends who actually went to Australia and uh, work in uh, temporary work in the uh, Australian farm <laughs> and uh, because they, they pay better. So uh, the, the saying is that if you go there for two years, you can save your first bucket of gold, which is uh, a million Taiwanese dollars. Uh, so, I mean, it's, I think it all comes down to pay. Probably the, uh, the farmer industry in Taiwan is just not pays, you know, awesome enough to attract more young, younger force. But we also see some local farms, you know, you know, they transform and transition into a more uh, boutique and more, more like a like a more like boutique level, um, so it can attract people more creative. You know, marketing people to uh, to sell a product. Right, Donovan, do you plan on taking up a job on a farm for twenty three thousand eight hundred NT a month plus overtime pay? Well, I, I'm not planning to, but uh, you know, I have permanent residency, so I, I would qualify for the higher paid jobs because in Nanto, for example, at the tea farms, they'll offer thirty, forty, fifty thousand some odd for to to local workers to come in to to work on the tea farms, and people are just not taking the job. And when I keep seeing these tragic stories in Nanto, where these, there, you know, there'll be the workers who do go and take up the jobs to work on the tea farms, and they, you know, they'll have these accidents because they're little winding roads, and the truck will go off the side of the road, and everybody who is the tea worker who are take, who are taking the jobs, they're all in their sixties, seventies, and eighties. Nobody younger is taking the job, no matter how much money they throw at them. So you can be somebody from central Taiwan, and you're relatively young, and they'll give you you know, 50% more to double what they might make doing another job, and they still won't take it. So I think that the, this is actually a positive step for you know, Taiwan's tea industry, for example, 
because there just simply nobody will take the jobs, almost no matter how much money they throw at them. Right, and before we go this week, the National Theatre and Concert Hall in Taipei said that gender-neutral restrooms have been opened at the venues. Now, the new public toilets have been established by connecting several of the venues' older men's and women's restrooms. Now, of course, several universities opened gender-neutral restrooms in recent years in Taiwan, and even a school, I believe, opened a gender-neutral restroom. But it's the first time a national-level performance venue has done this, shall. So, obviously, a sign of things to come. More venues will be doing this? Yeah, this is definitely a very, uh, you know, step in the right direction, right? Because if you have a, a daughter, I mean, you want to uh, take her to the restroom, sometimes you, you, you feel, you know, trouble into whether you should go into a men's restroom or, or a women's restroom. But if you, you have, a, like, a gender-neutral restroom, you can take your daughters, you can take your parents, aging parents to a restroom. And even if you are a transgender person, you don't need to worry about, you know, people staring at you in a weird way. So this is all in a good, uh, progressive direction, especially with Taiwan passing, you know, the, the marriage equality um, and really stepping up the game internationally, being seen as a place where it's friendly to LGBTQ community. I think this is a very nice, you know, thing to happen, right, at national level. So that means there's a, a Taiwan as a nation is giving approval to this uh, renovating, uh, you know, restrooms in, in, in to become uh, all gender neutral or gender friendly. Because um, if you remember back then, there's some schools trying to convert their restrooms into gender neutral restroom and receiving a lot of pushbacks from parents saying that uh, their, their, their little girls may be molested by boys in the restroom but this is all hyped up you know hysteria right because people whoever they want to choose to go to a men's boys a girls restroom or a gender neutral restroom it's it's all left to the people who feel comfortable with their gender identity so I, I'm, I'm really happy to see this. All right, Donovan yeah, no, I, I agree with Xiao. This is this is a good thing, uh, but I'll point out on a practical level here in Taiwan, it really doesn't make that much difference. At least here in Taichung, most of the doors, most of the bathrooms don't have doors, so everything that you're going to see in a bathroom is already a vi- visual. It's it's I, you know, in my office building, the the bathrooms are next to each other, and there's no door. So, you know, everything that goes on, people washing their hands, standing at the urinal, this this is all open and visual and everyone's seen everything anyway. So I don't really see that it makes any difference. Everything private goes on in the stalls. And that's that's obviously separate. But so essentially just simply putting the two into one space is, is simply practical because here, again, the doors are not on in the first place, so I don't see why anybody would get upset. There's not, they're not going to see anything they haven't seen already. And that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Xing Chang. Good night, everyone. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith. And good evening. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps. We can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.